Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Julia Hogan. She is a licensed clinical professional counselor in Chicago. In addition to her work as a psychotherapist, she leads workshops and writes on topics related to self-care, relationships, and mental health. Today, we're discussing her book, It's Okay to Start With You. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me. So what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, I think um, self-care is something that everybody resonates with. I think we all know that we could probably be doing a better job at it, including myself. And so I really became passionate about the topic just through my own personal life and then my work with my clients in therapy. So um, in my personal life, I'm the kind of person who likes to book my schedule as full as possible, and sometimes that gets me into a little bit of trouble. So when I was in college and even high school a little bit and in grad school, I, t- I was working two jobs for most of it and going to school. I was just exhausted all the time, and I finally had to you know, learn the hard lesson of taking a step back and taking care of myself, making sure I was getting enough sleep and doing things I enjoyed, and it didn't always have to be about school and work. Uh, So I learned that lesson in my personal life and then just working with my clients and seeing how for many of them, you know, they come in experiencing anxiety or depression. But then when I ask them, how much sleep are you getting? How much exercise are you getting? How are you eating? You know, are you in healthy relationships? And finding out that for a lot of them, that wasn't the case. And so I've just, you know, kind of combined my personal life and work with my clients to put together this book. And that's that's really what inspired it. Well, that, that's awesome. Um, I know that the, the term self-care, um, not everybody is aware of, um, mm. or if they are, they're, they're a little bit uh, resistant to. So can you just explain to us what self-care is? Yes, of course. So self-care is definitely a buzzword. I think you see it all over and, you know, I have on my computer, I have it a Google alert set up to send me articles that use the word self-care and I just get a ton every day so it's something that's used a lot but I think it's misunderstood I think for a lot of people they think of self-care as going and doing self-indulgent things like getting a massage or getting your nails done and you know taking maybe time away from your responsibilities just to like lay on the couch and watch TV but self-care is definitely more than that and I would say very different if we're talking about what authentic self-care is. And I define self-care as any practice that is really focusing on renewing yourself or fulfilling yourself so that you're a better version of who you are when you go out into the world. So that could be anything from getting enough sleep or exercising properly, managing stress, being in healthy relationships, setting boundaries. And these things aren't always easy. I talk about in my book how it's a discipline to practice self-care. So I think, you know, in in popular culture, we talk about self-care as a self-indulgent thing, but really it takes discipline. Like, it's hard to make sure that you go to bed so that you get eight hours of sleep when you'd rather stay up and hang out with friends or hang out with your significant other or watch TV, right? Or it takes discipline to say, no, I I can't do this commitment. I would love to, but I don't have time in my schedule for it. So it actually can be very hard to do. Well, um, I I know as well, um, I talk to my patients about self-care, and it Mm -hmm. probably in the same way you do. And um, I meet a lot of resistance to it. You know, I don't have time for that. And, you know, sometimes I just say, can you, after your kids go to bed, can you take 10 minutes before you go to bed to have quiet time? And I've even had people say, no, I don't have time for that. Um, Yes. (laughs) um, Is that something that you hear a lot as well? Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously we're all busy in our lives, right? And I think there's this tendency to put ourselves and our needs at the bottom of the list, right? And to say, well, if I have time today, I'll take care of myself. But if I don't, then, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead or something like that. And so I definitely hear things like that too. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to write the book, because 
I broke it into two parts. And the first part, I, re- I talk about why self-care is important, like why it matters. I talk about some common misconceptions. And then the second half of the book is more action-oriented. So I have a self-assessment in there where you can answer some questions and see how you're doing in self-care area, different self-care areas. And the purpose is to see what you're doing well and then, you know, what you can improve on too. But then I walk through, walk the reader through different areas of self-care and we talk about examples of it. But then I also give them an action plan guide at the end. And the whole point of that is to help them create, I use the SMART acronym, you know, to help them make the steps actionable and achievable. And so the whole point is that you can practice self-care even if you have 10 minutes at the end of the day, right? And I think it's it's choosing to make it a priority too. I know that if you're, you know, if you don't make it a priority, you don't get it done. But the things that you do prioritize on your to-do list always get done, right? They never... They never um, fall by the wayside. Like, you know, if you're renting, you're always paying your rent on time or you're always paying your mortgage on time. And we need to do the same thing with self-care. If you make it a priority, then you give yourself the chance to experience the benefits from it. But I think, you know, when you encounter that resistance, like you gave that example, Rebecca, I think it points to a deeper issue. And I think that's the issue of just not thinking that you're worth taking care of, right? I think there's you know, I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy of being loved by other people. I'm not lovable. So why should I take care of myself? And then that translates into neglecting and resisting self-care. So is that something that that you see a lot, that people aren't caring for themselves just because they feel like it, it's they're not that important? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's if you don't have that if you don't have a why for practicing something, you're not going to be as committed to it, you know? And so I think if you're thinking self-care is just like, well, I don't know, I just have to like get enough sleep and I guess that's important. It's not going to stick, you know? But if you say like, okay, I am worth taking care of. I am a human being. I have just as much worth and dignity as the other people around me. And I know that if I take care of myself, I am a better person when I go out there in the world and when I'm, you know, being with other people and, and doing whatever work I'm, I, whatever field I'm in or whatever season of life I'm in. Well, so what, one thing that I have noticed is a trend um, in, in especially women, um, I think because we feel like we need to have it all. So we want to be the, the perfect mother and the perfect partner. And then we have a job and we want to be involved in something and, um, and you know, really don't have the time in the day um, or feel we don't have the time because we're so involved in all those things and giving ourselves to all those things. Yeah, I think that's probably, I think it's a really unique challenge for being a woman and it is really difficult because I think we're so attuned to seeing the needs of other people and wanting to help them, which is a good thing, right? Like, that's not a bad thing. Um, But I think recognizing that You know, when we don't take care of ourselves, we're running on, like, half capacity, right? Or, you know, using the analogy of, like, running on fumes. And, you know, like, if your gas tank is empty and you're running on fumes. And I think, you know, you can help people, but you're going to be exhausted and then you're going to get towards that burnout phase, right, where you're just, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you start to get resentful towards the people in your life that are depending on you. And then you want to just, like, check out and run away. And I think self-care is a way to prevent that. But the challenge is, you know, accepting that I need to make myself a priority first, and then I can take care of other people, and it's going to benefit everybody. So, um, you know, do you do you find that um, if people are, are not practicing the self-care and they're, they're giving themselves all these things that they're um, not able to show up in the way that they want to because they're, you know, so stressed or, or burning on, you know, burning fumes? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example just from my professional life. So I... Um, I, you know, I want to work with as many clients as I can, right? And so sometimes I'm tempted to to skip lunch so I can fit someone in. You know, if someone, um, a client calls me and says, hey, I can't come at my regular time. Are you able to fit me in, you know, around noon or something? And, you know, I have this 
this mental decision tree I have to go through in my head where, you know, part of me says, yes, just open up that slot, you know, make sure that you can see that client, this is important. But the other part of me says, no, you can't skip lunch. If you skip lunch, you're going to be hungry. Your body is just going to be tired and exhausted. Your brain is not going to be functioning properly. So all of the clients that you see after that skipped lunch hour are going to be getting half of my brain. And that's not fair to them. It's not fair to me because I'll be, I'm going to be dreaming about what I'm going to have for dinner <laughs> instead of listening to my clients. And so it takes discipline to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't open up that time for you. Uh, can we schedule a different time? But I think in the end, you know, me taking care of myself and making sure that I'm eating something means that I'm a better therapist to all of my clients all around. Well, you know, I, I love that, that you brought um, that analogy and, um, you know, self-care was something I learned the hard way just going through, a, a you know, the illness I went through with Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm very strict with how much I'll work in a day. Um, mm-hmm. I, I only work seven hours in clinic and with a break because I know that eight hours it, the last you know, person isn't getting what what they're paying for okay. with me. You know, yeah, and yeah. and I don't I don't think that that's fair to them. And then I'm exhausted at the end. Whereas, it, you know, if I do one less hour, I have a better better day. And I do that with a lot of things. I have my downtime at night. I make sure I eat properly. And you know, I was I was forced into that because there was a time mm-hmm. where without that, I could barely I couldn't have survived because I was barely surviving. And and I just hope that people can. Um, you know, hear that and before they get to the point of a serious illness, be able to take care of themselves so they're just living a better life instead of, you know, getting sick, which is ultimately what can happen. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. I mean, I think that for, you know, that's kind of, you know, in a a different way, but a similar way, um, you know, my story too, just pushing myself through grad school and through college with, you know, working two jobs and going to school and just feeling exhausted all the time, but also feeling this pressure of like, what more can I do? And it really, yeah, it took kind of that like, okay, I'm exhausted. I'm not happy. I don't physically feel well. I need to take a step back and it was really hard to do and it was really kind of a humbling experience to say, okay, I'm not superwoman. I can't do this all. Like, I need to get sleep. I need to rest. I need downtime for myself. But ultimately, like, you know, extending that kind of self-compassion towards myself was helpful in, you know, accepting, I guess I take care of myself. I'm better, a better person towards my clients, towards my friends, towards my family, everything. And so I think, you know, that's what you're saying, too, is just, you know, experiencing the benefits of self-care. It kind of had to be jump-started for not-so-awesome reasons, right? But um, And I think that kind of extends to my message of my book and just wanting people to see you don't have to wait for when you're tired and exhausted to start practicing self-care. It's something you can do right now, and you can do it in achievable ways, and it's not something... You know, it doesn't mean that you're weak, that you need to practice self-care. It doesn't mean that you're lazy. It doesn't mean that you're not strong enough. It means that you're recognizing that you have a body and a mind and you need to take care of them both. I, I love that, that you're saying it that way because I think that that's something that we do assume of ourselves, you know, and then, when you know, that we we can just do everything and, and we don't have to take care of ourselves. And then eventually, yeah. you know, the behavior we had in our, our teens and 20s or depending on who we are, because that didn't happen for me, but, um, <laughs> you know, that that can... Um, it sounds like it catches up to us because we haven't taken care of ourselves and we're getting older and, and we're burning out because we're burning the candle at both ends. And then we reach this point where we're forced into it as opposed to learning those habits, um, you know, at a young age, uh, which would probably be better for all of us and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, never getting to that point. Yeah. I mean, I think if you can start forming self-care habits, from the very beginning, I think then it's so much easier to sustain and you've got that buffer built built up between you and stressful situations in your life and you're just better able to be resilient and ride through those and, you know, then you're not having to learn new habits, like you said, just later and, you know, it's harder to break bad habits and hard to start good habits, so you can start them earlier, all the better. And I think, you know, that makes me think of just the importance of 
educators and, of course, therapists, and then I think also parents just really advocating self-care for their kids and just having those open conversations about, like, you know, setting boundaries and scheduling, and you don't have to be everything to everyone. It's okay to take a break if you need to. Um, and, you know, so that that conversation is there because, you know, I don't know what it was like for you, Rebecca, but I think the first time I heard the term self-care was in graduate school when I was going through my training to be a therapist. And so that was like this huge light bulb moment of, wait, what do you mean self-care? What is this? This might be exactly <laughs> what I could benefit from. But it wasn't something that was ever talked about in school or, you know, in, you know, friend circles or anything like that. So it's a relatively new term, at least for me, for, you know, the past maybe like five or six years. Yeah, I, I don't remember the first time I heard it, but um, it, it was not something I learned in school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, school is not really set up for self-care. So, no. you no, know, it's, it, it's more about about pushing us, you know, past those limits. Um, and right. uh, you feel guilty for any self-care. So I, I don't yeah. think it, it was in there. But, um, you know, it definitely came up in my life at some point, but mainly because I had to. Right, uh, and I think, like, that brings up a good point, too, of just how no one is going to practice self-care for you, that you have to be the person to, you know, make that commitment. You have to be the person to say, I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to do this, and I know that I have to, like, stand firm and set those personal personal goals and personal boundaries so that I make self-care happen, because otherwise it won't happen. Yeah, definitely. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Julia Hogan, and we're discussing her book, It's Okay to Start With You. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Julia Hogan, and we're discussing her book, It's Okay to Start With You. Julia, you mentioned something in the first segment that I want to talk more about. You said the word self-compassion, um, and, and that brings up you know, the topic in your book that you talk a lot about, which is uh, being a, an inner critic. So can you tell us you know, what that is? Yes, for sure. Um, I'll start by talking about what the inner critic is and then kind of bridge that into self-compassion. But So I think for all of us, I would venture to say probably 99.9% of us, we have this inner critic in our head. And I describe it as 
like an interior running monologue that is just feeding your brain all of these negative thoughts about yourself. So, you know, if you have a presentation at work or something, that thought is probably that inner voice is going to say something like, oh, you're not going to be good at that presentation. You're going to totally vomit. No one's going to listen to you. Or why would people listen to what you have to say? You're not smart. You're not confident. You are not the CEO. And so your voice doesn't matter, right? And it's it's this it's this voice that basically constantly beats you down. And for a lot of us, we believe that that voice is true. We think, well, because those thoughts are in my head, it must be true. It must be coming from, from, from some factual basis. And so I guess I am sort of this, you know, bump on the log, boring person or terrible person that no one wants to be around. Um, but of course that's not true. And so I think what happens is we listen to that inner critic and all of those negative evaluations about ourselves and we kind of, we respond accordingly or act in the world accordingly. And we say, well, I'm not, I'm not worth anything. And I'm disappointed that I haven't met this arbitrary standard of perfection that I've built up in my head that I have to be perfect and I can never make a mistake. And if I make a mistake, then I'm a terrible person or I'm a awful person or dumb or whatever your inner critic comes up with to call yourself. And so we hold ourselves to this really high standard that we can never meet. And, you know, because, I mean, as you know, Rebecca, I'm sure you tell your clients this too, like, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. You know, no one in the world is perfect, but we hold ourselves to the standard of perfection, and so we'll always be disappointed. And that's where self-compassion comes in, um, because for a lot of us, we, we hold ourselves to these really high standards of perfection, but we don't hold other people to that same standard. We understand that our friends and our family they make mistakes. They're not perfect, but we love them anyway. We don't say, oh, because you've, you know, because you forgot to turn the light off, I'm terribly upset at you and I'll never talk to you again. You're an awful person. No, we understand that it's just a simple mistake and we're very forgiving, but we don't extend that same forgiveness to ourselves and that's where self-compassion comes in. And so self-compassion is really important because it is Extending the compassion that you naturally give to other people, to yourself. So we kind of say, oh, no, I don't need compassion, or I don't deserve compassion, and I'm happy to give it to other people, but why should I be kind and loving and compassionate towards myself? But that's exactly what we need, especially when we're battling this inner critic in our head. And so sometimes I'll say to my clients, I'll say, you know, you, you're telling me about this mistake that you made, and I want to ask you, what would you say to a friend who was in the same situation? And they'll tell me, you know, oh, well, I wouldn't be upset at her. I mean, she didn't mean to do it. It was it was just a mistake. I mean, I would help her fix it even, and everything would be okay. And, and then I kind of gently point out, well, that's not what you're doing for yourself, right? You're saying that you've made this mistake, and no one will forgive you, and no one will want to be your friend anymore, and you're, you know, kind of turning it into this worst-case scenario, but... How about extending that same compassion you show your friend towards yourself? And it's usually a light bulb moment for them of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been withholding this compassion and this kindness that I extend to others. I've been withholding it from myself. And then we'll talk about, you know, how to, how to do that. But I think self-compassion is really the antidote to that inner critic that we've all got, you know, running through our heads, you know, some more than others, but it's something that we're all dealing with. Well, I think I think one thing um, that that I find is because there's so much shame in in the thoughts the inner critic has. Um, not mm-hmm. that we have the inner critic. I don't think we're ashamed of that because I think we feel like that's normal. Um, but mm-hmm. what we think about ourselves is is what we're ashamed of the most of ourselves. I'm, you know, you don't like your body image. You know, you think you're fat. You think you're dumb. You think you're not good enough. Um, and and those are things, of course, that we're very ashamed of. So I I I I think, and I'm sure you have a an opinion as well that we're because we're so ashamed, we don't share that we have these feelings. So we think we're the only one, and then that makes it harder for us to realize that this is even happening. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I know that, you know, I've had so many people come into my office and they've just said things like, I had no idea other people felt this way. Um, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was crazy for feeling this way. And, you know, I it's, so it's a lot of work of, like, validating that their experience is very real and that they're not the only ones and that, 
it's not necessarily something to be ashamed of for feeling that way. It's, you know, acknowledge that you feel that way and then let's figure out a way to help you heal from that. But I think um, what's been really helpful for me in that, that kind of area around shame and, you know, the things that we hide from other people because we're ashamed of them is the work of Brene Brown. And just she has that great book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And um, that's one that I recommend a lot just because she talks about how when we feel shame towards things, we run away from them. And that kind of compounds the issue and, and reinforces, yes, this is something bad. This is something I shouldn't share when really to be vulnerable and to be brave enough to say like, hey, I'm feeling this way or I can't do it all or I'm feeling overwhelmed or I really don't like the way that I feel about my body or I don't like the way that I, this relationship that I'm in. Once you have the courage to do that, it can actually lead you on that path to healing. And I think, again, you know, that's part of the reason, too, why we don't take care of ourselves and practice self-care because we say, well, I don't, I don't like who I am right now, so why should I take care of the, a person I don't like? It doesn't make sense. And so that first step of coming into how can I, how can I learn to love myself again? And in my book, I, I kind of talk about taking this fake it till you make it approach. You know, if you don't think you're lovable and worthy of taking care of, sometimes it helps to start to take care of yourself. And in that process, you learn to love yourself. So it's, it's kind of one of those chicken, which can hurt the chicken or the egg approach. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think if we don't have awareness or, or help the way that you do um, or with your book, um, you know, we can go in circles with this because mm-hmm. we we can continue to take that inner critic and, um, as you said, not practice a self-compassion because we don't think we're worth it and go in this spiral over and over and over, um, which I think a lot of people do until they start working on themselves. Um, I, you know, it's very rare, I think, not to have an inner critic just with the way um, our world is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think that, you know, until you, like, until, until you know that that's your inner critic's voice, and I think once you once you start thinking about it, it's pretty easy to, to kind of identify that voice and say, like, okay, that is definitely my inner critic talking to me right now. Maybe once you start to learn to recognize it, it just becomes so much easier to, to catch it as it's happening. And then I think that's really empowering, too, for people just to know, like, I don't have to listen to this voice. Now that I recognize it and it's, you know, familiar in that way, I can kind of call it out and challenge it and say, hey, okay, is this, is this a real thought? Is this an accurate thought? Is this a true thought? Or is this my inner critic finding some tiny, tiny little negative detail and blowing it out of proportion? Um, which I think we're all very good at, even when we've yeah. done work on ourselves. We're definitely um, skilled at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think some of that's called being human. But I think the difference is um, if we don't have that awareness, um, first of all, we can't we can't um, say apologize, say if we blow something out of proportion with somebody because we're stressed out um, and we can't apologize to ourselves and we can't um, work on changing the behavior. And I, I say the work on part because um, you know, you can talk about this more, but we don't change overnight. We don't go, oh, this is my inner critic. I'm just going to turn it off. And now I'm going to think positive and yeah. I'm going to take care of myself. And off I go. And everything's done. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If only it were that easy, right? If only. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it really does. Yeah. Change, I mean, it happens so slowly over time. And I think the, like one of the things that I'm just so passionate about in the message of my book is that Practicing self-care isn't about being perfect, right? It's not about setting this rigid schedule or structure for yourself that if you deviate from, have to modify that you're a failure in self-care. Like That is completely the opposite of the message of self-care. And I think, you know, what you're saying, that it's a process and it's a journey, as cheesy as that sounds, that it's a learning curve, I think is all important to keep in mind when you're practicing self-care because, it's again, it's not about being perfect. It's not a competition to see as who has the best self-care routine, right? It's it's so personal and so unique for everyone. But I think I think again, that's where the self-compassion comes in of knowing, okay, this is a journey, and I just have to figure out what works best for me and and what my body and my mind need to operate at you know its highest capacity in the most fulfilling way. Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, one one thing you mentioned in the the first segment was boundaries. Can you mm-hmm. tell us what that means? Yeah, of course. So boundaries are really the way that we tell other people what we're okay with and what we're not when it comes to relationships. And that can be a you know work relationship, coworker, boss. It can be a family relationship, friends, a significant other. So and you know with kids, it extends across all relationships. And it's just that way of letting people kind of think of a fence, right? It's like saying, okay, I'm okay with this, but after this point, I'm. I'm not okay with this. And it doesn't just refer to physical boundaries. It can also be emotional boundaries as well. And, um, you know, so an example of that might be if you are, um, say you have a family and you are working as well and your boss asks you to stay late, but you have a family dinner that you said you would go to. Um, You know, setting a boundary with your boss would be saying, hey, I would love to finish this project and stay late. I've already made a commitment to my family. Can I come in early tomorrow and finish this. Are you okay with that? Um, but setting that boundary of saying, hey, family is a priority right now. I've already made a commitment to that. And so I have to, I can't take on something else because it's not fair to my family. It's not fair to me. And it's not fair to your boss either, right? Because you're just going to be feeling like you need to rush through and, and be resentful towards them maybe um, at times. But mm-hmm. I think boundaries are really important when it comes to self-care. And, you know, again, I think for me, with, and I know, Rebecca, you just mentioned too earlier about knowing the number of clients you can see in a day. Number of, it's the same thing for me where I, I, how many I can see in a row before it becomes too much. And then I know how many I can see in a day. And I really try to stick to that because I know, you know, as tempting as it is to book my day full, I know that I'll, I'll be exhausted and I will not be at my best for my clients. That's not fair to them. It's not fair to me. And so even even setting your schedule is a way of setting boundaries, and it can be really helpful for just self-care and managing stress. Well, one thing I want to talk about with the boundaries as well, because sometimes um, we lack the boundaries because we were in a situation where um, we weren't taught them um, or Mm -hmm. somebody is taking advantage of us, um, a family member, a relationship, or your work, and it is something that you don't understand. And then there can be consequences to creating the boundaries. So how can somebody navigate creating boundaries, let's say with a, a coworker who isn't responsive to having boundaries because they want mm-hmm. to behave in a certain way? Um, where, What advice do you have for someone in that situation? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think acknowledging that setting boundaries can be really difficult. And I think, you know, part of that is comes from within ourselves, and then that can also come from the reaction towards the other person. So I think, you know, within ourselves, you know, we, you have to identify why you're setting this boundary. So when you know, again, like I said earlier, when you know the why, you buy into what you're doing more, and it resonates with you, and you're more likely to carry it through. So if you know that you're setting boundaries with a coworker because they tend to, I don't know, maybe they're coming over to your desk and chat, wanting to chat with you all day. And you're sitting there thinking like, I love talking to you, but I have work I need to get done. Like, I can't be here all day just chit-chatting, right? And so knowing that, you know, you're setting that boundary, not because you hate the person, not because they're a bad person, but because you need to get your work done. Uh, that's what you're there to do. And it's not fair to either of you to do that. And so part of that becomes that inner that inner conflict is being comfortable with saying no. I think a lot of us struggle with that. I know it can be difficult for me too if someone says, Hey, you know, um, can you write this article on X, Y, and Z and I and I'd love to, but maybe I don't have time. It's hard for me to turn that down, but you know, I have to I have to acknowledge if I don't have the space in my calendar. So becoming comfortable with saying no is really key with setting boundaries. And once you're comfortable with saying no, it becomes a lot easier, at least internally. You know, um, you know, saying no is not a bad thing because often when you're saying no to something, you're saying yes to something greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my other therapist friends, she shared a quote with me and she said, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was along the lines of saying no, saying it's okay to say no to something good 
in order to say yes to something greater. So I think keeping that in mind, too, when you're saying no to something, when you're setting a boundary, you're often doing that so that you can give your full attention to something greater in your life, something that's a higher priority. So becoming comfortable with saying no is important, too. And then also, I think when you're setting boundaries, sometimes it can be not popular with the people you're setting boundaries with. And that can be for many different reasons, but uh, often it's, you know, they're used to interacting with you a certain way, and then all of a sudden you're setting this boundary, and they're thinking, hey, wait, what's going on? Like, this was fine before, and now you're saying you're not comfortable with this. Um, I don't know how I feel about this, and they might feel resentful or confused upset at you, and in those cases, it's important to remember that you're not responsible for how other people feel, right? And you're responsible for setting your boundaries and to remain firm with them because you've identified your priorities, those boundaries are ways of honoring them, and if someone else is resisting that boundary, you can't control their response. You don't need to control your their response. You just need to remain firm in what you believe and what um, your convicted in, and and then that sends a message to the person that it's something important to you. Um, you know, I think, like, a very small example would be when you're, this is not work, but, you know, with, with little kids, right, um, with toddlers, and think about, you know, when you're at the grocery store and there's the candy right at the, the checkout line, and, you know, I think we've all seen the poor mom, she's exhausted, she's, you know, got this energetic toddler running around, and the toddler wants candy, and she says, no, you're not, no, we're not going to get it, we're not going to get it, and the please, 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 and then the mom says no, and then the kid, you know, eyes well up with tears, and the lips starts quivering, and then they start screaming, and the mom says, okay, fine, here, have some candy, stop crying, okay, and that's a really good example of not maintaining boundaries, right, and saying, mm-hmm. okay, I'll give in, just so you can be quiet, um, whereas sticking with that boundary, if it's difficult in the moment, and you, you've got a tantrum on your hands, when you don't give in and give that candy, you're sending the message to the to um, your toddler that you love so much that I love you, but candy is not the answer right now. And I have to show you that no matter how you get, I will stay firm in this. And um, so I think applying that example or that principle to work situations can be helpful too. You know, your coworker might not have a full-blown meltdown, but they might have a mini tantrum and you know, yeah. can be helpful. For sure. Well, thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Julia Hogan, and we're discussing her book, It's Okay to Start With You. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You. 
You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Julia Hogan, and we're discussing her book, It's Okay to Start With You. So, Julia, when we talked a lot about self-care but we are in what it means and stuff but we haven't talked about like what you do for self-care so when somebody's getting started what would be the first thing that you recommend for them yes uh, that's a really great point right you know it's so good but how do i actually practice it what do i do yeah. um <laughs> how does, what is it look like in it's great in theory but think, you know <laughs> what do we yeah. do <laughs> exactly um so i think The first place to start is to really, so I, in my book, I identify five different areas of self-care. So I talk about um, spiritual self-care, mental self-care, emotional self-care. There's a little bit of overlap between those two. Um, And then relationship self-care and then spiritual self-care. And so I think a good place to start is doing just a general self-assessment and saying, okay, how am I doing right now? How stressed am I? Where are my pain points? Am I making time for myself and, you know, the basics? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I exercising in some form? Am I eating properly? Um, am I stressed all the time? Am I worried all the time? Do I feel any, any symptoms of, like, depression or anxiety going on? How happy am I in my relationships? And then if you are someone who has a spiritual life, what am I doing with my spiritual life? Is it just by the wayside or am I really in, investing in it? And so kind of taking a step back and just doing that assessment and, and it doesn't mean that you have to take like a, you know, a a vacation and go off to some like remote place and do all this soul searching. It's something you could, you know, pick like a Saturday morning and schedule an hour and just kind of jot some notes down. And, um, you know, in my book, I have a self-assessment that the reader can go through in those different areas and I lay out, you know, specific ways um, you know, you know, what is my sleep routine like? Is it a good sleep routine? Am I getting eight hours? Am I avoiding screen time? Is is the room completely dark or do I have the TV on at night or am I scrolling through my phone? I think that's hard for many of us to not do. Um, but so kind of doing that self-assessment first is important. And then looking at what is one thing, one small thing that I can do to start practicing self-care today. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I did a little self-care. I use Instagram a lot. So I did a self-care challenge for my followers. And every day I just gave them, gave them one small thing to do that would take five minutes or less that related to self-care. So one of my personal favorites is making a gratitude list or a gratitude journal. And so, um, you know, because there's lots of great studies out there that show when people practice gratitude, they experience a higher sense of well-being. Um, I don't remember the exact number of days, but it was a pretty short span of time, uh, which is kind of cool. So, you know, just writing three things that you're grateful for each day can be really helpful because it helps your brain focused on the positive things that are going on in your life. We tend to only remember the negative things or remember more of the negative things. So if we can call to mind the positive, that can be a good self-care practice. Um, but doing those small things like that, like a gratitude list, is a good place to start because, you know, when we, I think, you know, um, when the new year rolls around, usually we, you know, many of us come up with those grand, you know, I'm going to like lose 30 pounds or I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to start my own business or whatever it is. And we, we jump into it super enthusiastic, but then we lose steam pretty quickly. And then those, you know, those goals kind of fall by the wayside. And so in my book, I talk about the importance of making small changes and then building on those small changes because those are more sustainable than making some grand uh, plan that you that's harder to maintain. And so, for example, if you're thinking, well, I don't get any exercise and I know I need to do that, you don't need to go out and start running, you know, a 5K every day. You can take a walk around your block at night when you come home before you go in the front door uh, after work and then kind of build from there. But the idea is to do small, specific steps in self-care. That way they're they're sustainable, and then you can build on them as you, you gain confidence and they become more of a 
thing that you have to remember. Um, you did cut out there, but I think you said more of a, a habit, which, um, you know, I, I I agree with because that's what, you know, I think people would call my lifestyle self-care, but it really is just how, how I live. You know, I I get enough sleep. I eat well. I do exercise. And some, it's not hardcore. Like, I'm not doing, um, you know, a major workout every day, but I'm, a, I'm walking my dog. I'm, you know, I'm moving instead of just sitting in front of the TV and, and eating fast food. Um, um, right. and, and I, you know, I, I take care of all these things and I try to find that, that balance in life. But, you know, when people ask me this, um, I point out to them that I've been working on my health for 20 years. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, when, when I started, it, it wasn't like this. And I've gotten mm-hmm. to this point because of all the hard work that I've put in and I still put in to maintain where I am uh, because I want to feel as good as I do and continue to do so. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right with just, you know, again, bringing in that self-compassion and that that perspective of it's a process. It's a learning curve. You have to put in the hard work. It is a discipline. And, but you're also saying, like, you experience the payoff and the benefit of it. And now you, like, that's why you keep continuing to practice self-care because you've seen the benefits in your own life, which is really cool, right? I think that's... Mm-hmm. Um, amazing for you to be able to say, you know, here I, I like, I know that when I do these things, I'm a better version of myself and I'm happier and more fulfilled. And so that's a reason to keep going. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, it it, um, it, it does take, take some time. I say no to things sometimes, oh, that might go too late and I have to work the next day. Um, and that's important to me to be able to um, get enough sleep on a consistent basis. Um, I do get up quite early. Um, and so sometimes that can interfere. But it's important for me to have the routine I have in the morning because I get up early mm-hmm. and I meditate and I eat breakfast and I walk my dog. And all of those are part of my morning time and you know 20 years ago when I was younger and I got up in a rush and I I didn't eat and and you know I felt rushed and I'd sleep in and I was tired is when I wasn't looking after myself and it actually set a bad day the day up for being very rushed and I was hungry and I was you know um I I just made a choice that I didn't want to feel like that and uh, so yeah. A my, yeah, a lot of my day is in the morning, um, which I love. And I, you know, somebody asked me 20 years ago, I'd say I'm not a morning person. I will never get up <laughs> at five. This is not something I'm going to do. And and here, like, I wake up before my alarm, <laughs> you know. That's awesome. That is so cool to hear. Because yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a way of really setting your priorities and you're saying, like, Getting up early is important to me because I can eat. It's important. Walking my dog is important. Eating a good breakfast is important. And then, you know, like you said, you set the tone for your day. And I know I experience that too. I don't get up at 5 a.m. But um, <laughs> I definitely know that when I'm not rushing out the door, taking my time and I, you know, have time to read or do something like that. Uh, I kind of, I go into my work day much more relaxed and confident and like ready to go and ready to take on the day than if I'm thinking, what else, what else did I forget? Why is traffic taking so long? And, you know, I think that kind of perpetuates that stress instead of building the buffer, like this morning mm-hmm. routine you're talking about does. Yeah, and and um, I'm glad you brought up traffic because I know that most people who tell me that they don't get angry or irritated will admit that they do in traffic. And um, and one of my my ways of dealing with that is actually to leave early, even when there isn't snow on the ground. And then if there is traffic, which there rarely is because of how early I'm leaving, um, it doesn't bother me. Whereas if I Mm -hmm. left later, I would get stuck in traffic and then I would be stressed out about getting to work on time. And um, and I, I find that's really important part of my day. And I know people are listening, probably going, well, that's not self-care taking a bath is, but <laughs> this is how I, how I maintain my, my sanity throughout the day. I get to work early. I have time to sit down and, and look at what my day is going to be like instead of rushing in the door and then having to start and go, 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 um, which adds to a stressful day for me. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that that highlights the point too, that what kind of, you know, what I said earlier, like popular culture defines self-care as 
is a really narrow definition. And, you know, leaving early so that you miss traffic and you're not stressed and feeling rushed is a form of self-care because it's helping you manage stress and it's helping you be, like, confident and at peace with yourself or you, if that makes sense, rather than someone who has to, like, rush and race and, you know, feel upset and stuff like that. And so I think that is part of what I, you know, the message I wanted to send in my book is that, Self-care isn't this narrow definition. It's really anything, any practice that helps you feel more fulfilled and at your best. And no matter, you know, like I gave examples from my own life of setting a schedule or, you know, holding that lunch hour sacred. Like those are, those aren't getting massages or taking bubble baths, but those are forms of self-care for me as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. You're taking that time for yourself and, and, you know, it isn't about, oh, I'm going to have to exercise that I don't really want to do or that kind of thing. But just making that time to eat lunch is self-care, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't do for themselves. And, you know, I'm really adamant that my staff do that, even if they don't have the boundaries to or want to. And, um, uh, you know, I, I make sure that the people that work for me have that self-care. And I hope that that, you know, people that just helps us work better and the other people can see how important that that is as well yeah and I'm sure other people will look at your staff and are thinking you know what do they have that we don't have and you're going to say it's a lunch hour right they're taking Mm -hmm. time for themselves Exactly. Um, so I, I want to stress to everybody that your book is actually quite easy to go through. But, um, you know, if you look at the list of questions that I gave you for the show, it is packed with information. Um, we didn't get to all the questions that I made. So it's it's really important for people, I think, you know, to, to read that um, so that they can get started on this journey. So how can um, people get a hold of you or your book if they do want more information? Yeah, they can. So if you want to find out more about me and my work and some of my other articles, uh, you can go to my website, which is juliavariehogan.com. And I have a link there to the book, but you can also search for the book. It's called It's Okay to Start With You, and it's on Amazon. And then through the publisher, which is our Sunday visitor, and their website is osvcatholicbookstore.com. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, I want to um, let everybody know that if you want more about uh, my journey and my health, you can go to my blog site at dr-risk.com. Um, feel free to follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram um, just to get more information. And and Julia, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I love this uh, conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Um, And I want to thank everybody for listening. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.